The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're web webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. So thrilled to be here with you on this Wednesday morning. You know I love Wednesdays because we have Dr. Doreen Grampy-Shea with us and then we will have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy a little bit later on with a very special guest, a singer, Sophie Rose, is with us in the second hour today. But we like to start every show by reminding you that this entire program is meant to be interactive. We want to hear from you. We want you to to participate with us. We want to hear your questions, your thoughts, your concerns, and especially on Wednesday mornings when we have Dr. Grampache here with us to answer some of the concerns that you have. So Emily's going to show you some of the different ways that you can participate with us. And while she's doing that, I want to remind you that you can be watching the show on our home site, which is autism-live.com. When you go there, there's a lot to do. We want you to sign up for the free newsletter as soon as possible and tell other people about it. But you can also be watching the live show. You can watch the most recently recorded live show and you can participate on the live feature. You see those two white boxes that are to the side of the computer screen? Put your cursor in the one that says your question, start typing and hit enter. That's all you have to do. You don't have to log in. There is no cost. There is no credit card information, no personal information taken. You don't have to fill out any lengthy forms, tell us who you are. In fact, you're completely anonymous to us. Isn't that a lovely thing? As I said, it's totally, totally free. Now here's the rub about being anonymous. If you want us to get back to you with some information, you need us to email you something, we will need to know who you are and how to get a hold of you. It also helps when you're writing your question if you tell us where in the world you are because unfortunately all services are not available in all places and it helps us to hone in on what might be available to you and what direction uh, to go down if we know where in the world you are. That's a very helpful thing to do. But you don't have to tell us your name. Uh, you can stay completely anonymous. I love that because sometimes we feel self-conscious when we're asking a question and you don't need to feel that. But by the way, there is no wrong question. You know what they always used to say, there's no stupid question. There is no stupid question. Ask whatever you want and uh, we're happy to try to connect you with some resources and there is no better time to do that on Wednesday morning. So having said that, it's time for Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpiche. Dr. Grandpiche. Dr. Doreen Grandpiche. Dr. Doreen Grandpiche is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen.
Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We welcome Dr. Doreen Grandpache here with us. Good morning. So good to see you again. Thank you very much. This is an hour in which Dr. Grandpache will answer your questions and in almost live time, it sometimes takes a minute or so for your question to come through. So make sure you ask your questions early. Uh, and Dr. Grandpache is a true expert in the field of autism. And as I always like to remind all of us Thank and you. her, she's a visionary in this field. Thank you very much. An amazing, amazing resource. We look forward to answering some questions and but we, helping today. Yes, but we always like to remind people at the start of the show that no one, no expert in the field of autism can give child-specific or individual-specific advice in this format. It just doesn't lend itself to that. It would be a disservice to th for the individual to think that we could. We, right. I mean, you are so great at gleaning information from what people write in, but even having said that, you can't give child-specific advice. And I will always say that in our when I respond to the questions. Oftentimes, I can just give you some general guidelines, and it's you know we want to be very cautious. We, I don't know enough about the children that were or the, the individuals that we're commenting on. But it's so helpful. I mean, I just keep being reminded of this in the last couple of weeks that sometimes you need to ask a series of questions to even know what question to ask. Sure. And and I think that this format is so helpful. It's it, we, I, we get to pick your brain, and that is so valuable. And I, I think what I like about it for families, and we get so many questions and I hope we can answer as many as possible each time but I think it's nice for families because it is anonymous and you can just put in your information you don't need to put in anything you just put in your question and you can uh, because it's live you can keep uh, following up sometimes we're in the middle of answering a question and parents will give us more information while we're answering the question so that's really helpful yeah it's so helpful we so appreciate your time thank you it's a pleasure I'm gonna jump right in and ask some questions today uh, so the first one hi Dr. Doreen and Shannon first off congrats to the bride oh, for those thank of you, you who are just joining us Dr. Grandpache got married. It's what well, you're like 15 days a bride now. Is it 15? Yeah, it's that's 15 right. days. Uh, so uh, yes, we all Thank offer you. our congratulations. Uh, they go on to say, I have been hearing a lot about ATEX scores. My son is three and eight months and has been with CARD for nine months, 40 hours. My two-year-old is going to start with CARD within the next couple of weeks. So I did the ATEC and the three-year-old scored 90 and the two-year-old scored 57. What the heck do these numbers mean and what is ATEC? Also, I write to you guys practically every week. Love you guys. You've taught me so much, by the way. You mentioned one time to give you my son's info so you can oversee his progress and uh, if he's going in the right direction. Um, so they have given their name oh, good. Uh, and which office that they're in, which oh, I'm going to give off the air, good. so we're not sharing that. And thank you all you do uh, for all of us desperate moms, and God bless you both, and God bless to you as well. So thank you very much, first of all, for those uh, kind words, and I will take a look at your kids, both of their um, files. Um, so the ATEC is the Autism Treatment Evaluation Checklist. Um, it was made by our dear friend Steve Edelson, who was on the show. Oh, how wonderful, yes. from ARI. ARI, that's right. And the ATEC is um, an evaluation checklist. So the score indicates severity in different areas that have to do with autism. I don't know why you are completing the ATEC. Some, I think the only insurance or funding agency that I know of that um, was requiring it was Magellan and I don't think they are anymore I might be wrong it's not a standard test it's an evaluation checklist so it kind of just gives you this is why Steve made it let me just say the reason that he made it wasn't for the purposes of screening or diagnosis or 
anything. It was basically for the purposes of uh, the family or the physicians or whoever to show some to look and see if there's been actual progress okay. with an intervention. So the concept with the ATEC, ATEC was that you admit you it's a checklist. So you as a parent are filling out what you think, and then you know a year later you fill it out again, and it's an object. It's sort of an objective measure of whether you see improvement and whether the, a treatment was effective. So don't worry. I wouldn't worry too much about the scores on it at any point because it's not normed based on age and so I, it, it doesn't mean like 90 is better or 20 is worse or whatever that is that's not how it's sort of it does count up the severity level but then the the real reason for the ATEC is just a pre-post uh, comparison to see if your child has improved from where they were okay what we um, helped Steve with this test um, years ago. We administered it to, gosh, I can't remember how many kids, because he was trying to do some reliability data. I'm not sure if he's gotten the take validated right now. I don't know yet. I know he was in the process of trying to validate it. I don't know if it happened. Um, we don't use it uh, unless a funding agency asks us to. We, we, it's on our website though, actually, because we consider it a good tool for parents. Mm -hmm. um, we use standardized measures and uh, standardized measures, of course, require a lot more time and work and so on. Um, but it is a good, it, it's a broader view and it's helpful for parents because it kind of just gives, you know, how's your child in certain areas? And it asks you specific questions about what you think has improved or not. So would it so be- So that's really the only reason the ATEC is there. Would it be overstating that then to say that when this is really gonna be useful to her is if she does it again in a year? Yeah, or in six months or whatever okay. it is. And it, it, what I would suggest you do if you're a CARD client is you can pretty much see the same things as the ATEC on skills, but okay. much more detailed. So so you have a skills account. One of the things that parents don't realize is when you're at CARD, you have a skills account and skills gives you daily and weekly and monthly progress. Yeah. So you don't need to wait a year to look at your progress. You're seeing it every single day. I think I need to, like, you know, we need to provide much more training and uh, orientation, I guess, to our families so that they actually do start using skills. Very few of the families review their skills accounts. Yeah, and I can imagine that a lot of people would want to. So oh, it's, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, we, it's one of the we should really think about that about I what we can do to, to help support <laughs> families to know how and and when to use that. Right. So thank you so much, and we appreciate when you write in. And this is the fact that you're using uh, this hour to get more information and to be able to have a conversation with Dr. Grandpache is exactly what we want you to do. So kudos to you for using it well. Uh, we've got another question who says my son has just uh, been diagnosed at two. Uh, um, my son has been diagnosed at age two. Now he is 18. Uh, Social Security uh, denied him and said he is not disabled. What can I do? Okay, so I he's been diagnosed it. since two. I, I right, okay. right. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what the basis of the denial is. Um, I would assume that you will need to go see a professional and get a updated diagnosis. 
Um, clearly, if, if it's 16 years old, you're going to need an updated diagnosis. And it might be a completely different diagnosis. I mean, when he, 16 years ago... 18. He's 18. I'm sorry. He's 18, and he was diagnosed at 2. At 2. That's what it is. Right. So 16 years ago, that would have been... You would have been on the DSM-4, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, you would have been on the DSM-4, and that um, just changed to the DSM-5, so his diagnostic criteria would have changed. He might have even been on the DSM-3, I'm not sure at this mm -hmm. point, uh, 16 years, but uh, you should definitely go see a professional and get a new diagnostic and done, and then submit that for Social Security, because, or I think sometimes I fill out paperwork on kids that I've already seen, so if he has a current provider who's licensed, then they might be able to fill that paperwork out for you. And my understanding with Social Security is that it is very natural to be denied in the first round, no matter what the is disability it? I don't is. Know. Yeah. And um, you know, I hear that from people all the time um, that it's just sort of that happens frequently. That it's often through the appeal process that people get a yes. I see. But you may want to seek professional, as you said, somebody that has expertise in this field. But you may want to seek a lawyer. To Help. Yeah, or I think going back to the organization 211, I think they also assist with things like filling out Social Security benefit paperwork. And and you and I had, had a conversation about 211 the yeah. other day, a really amazing organization Fantastic that helps organization. Uh, connect people. Um, to resources. Absolutely. And especially if your child is under the age of five, right. sometimes help you with funding, a really amazing organization. Yes. Uh, so reach out to them and see, and then let us know what, what you find out so that we can better help people when they have that, that question again. All right, we're going to take a short break and be back with more of Ask Dr. Doreen after these messages. Hello there, fellow activist. You're an activist because you're making the world a better place for someone living with autism. Now on Autism Live, you learn all about your children. You learn about their bodies and their brains. But this empowerment moment is all about you. It's about your heart and your soul. Now don't worry, I'm not gonna have you start singing Kumbaya or doing chanting. Let's talk about blessings. One of the blessings of living with a child with autism is learning to love them unconditionally. Learning to love them despite all the ups and downs, all the sacrifices. In fact, you learn to love them more so because of them. I call this my empowerment prayer. God grant me the wisdom to see my disability as an opportunity, the courage to love my child unconditionally, and the faith to live a life of purpose. So going from the sublime to the ridiculous, I have a little song for you today. It's a rap song, so I know that an old or, okay, middle-aged white woman rapping just doesn't seem right, but I'm gonna go for it anyway. My style is a little like Nicki Minaj meets Dr. Seuss. Nancy's Autism Rap. It's just a diagnosis, your life's not over. Don't lay there like a dog, get up, Rover. You say your head is spinning with GFCF, ABA, IEPs, and neurofeedback? Autism tough, that much is true. But you'll survive because you're you. Your life's not over, it's just begun. So walk out that door and go be someone. More Dr. Seuss than Nicki Minaj. Until next time. Stay strong and keep the faith.
Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We have with us in the studio right now live Dr. Doreen Grampichet. She is a true expert in the field of autism and a visionary. She's answering your questions right now Thank on the you. live feature. So feel free to write those in right now on our homepage, autism-live.com. Okay, from time to time, everybody loves to ask you this question, and I kind of feel like I know what you're going to say, but uh, we've got some advice on sleep issues that they want. Already tried melatonin, clonidine, schedule, sleep study, and many others. My son is 13, has had sleep issues since three and a half, been really bad over the last two years, and they said hormones with two question marks. Oh gosh, well hormones definitely don't don't make it better. <laughs> so yeah, that could be part of the issue, but sleep, uh, you know, first thing is that I, myself, and I can't, you know, uh, endorse anything, but myself, I, I and my family and many friends um, take <clears throat> this form of melatonin called Tranquil Sleep, which is a chewable medication, it's a chewable tablet, um, and it has melatonin and 5-HTP um, tryptophan and um, theanine. And I would say the melatonin on its own does absolutely nothing for me or my kids or a lot of people I know, but and even if it does, it uh, wakes you up in four hours. And this thing is great. So the combination, that's one thing that I've heard a lot of people say is fabulous for them. Um, the combination of Benadryl and melatonin seems to be very effective for a lot of families. I'm not advising you on this, but I'm just telling you something that is effective for other people who have very difficult time with their children is just 25 milligrams, or depending on the size of the child, is one Benadryl, which is 25 milligrams diphenhydramine, as well as um, like three milligrams or six milligrams of melatonin or this tranquil sleep. That combination seems to be very effective. Um, having said that, Sleep also does have some aspects of behavioral learning in it, and a lot of times it's what happens, you know, a lot of times the antecedent to waking up is some very, very tiny sound or change in the environment, and we don't realize it because we're not as sensitive as our kids are. And so it would be very important to kind of sweep through the room and the environment, that area of the house, and make sure that there's not little things like maybe sprinklers are turning on in the neighbor's house at 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't know. These, these are things that parents have taught me over the years, that there's some very, very cha subtle change in the environment and the individual wakes up. Um, make sure that the room is as dark as possible. Uh, the presence of light during the night prevents us from producing the melatonin we need to produce. Mm. So you really need to have darkness, it really does help. Um, what I found is very, very helpful is one of those um, uh, air purifier things. I, mine is on turbo all the time. <laughs> And it makes a sound, so it's a white back, you know, it's white noise in the background, and it's really effective, strangely. Like, you might initially think, wow, this is kind of disturbing because it's loud, but it is amazing because it really blocks out all the other sudden sounds of the night. It really does block out other sounds. In fact, if I have that on, I have a hard time hearing the TV even if it's on because it just uh it, you just, the white noise 
blocks things out and it's pretty effective. Um, so, you know, just making the environment as calm and serene as possible, making sure that you spend the night yourself in that room and figure out what's going on. That's So that's the antecedent control side of it. And the consequence control is when the individual wakes up, when the child wakes up, make sure that they don't eat. That's one very important thing because when you eat when you wake up, it becomes a very, very quick conditioning. And now your stomach's going to actually wake you up on schedule because that's the time to eat. So. Uh, try to actually not do anything and keep the individual in the room even if they're awake uh, because if the child learns that they can wake up and come to your bed if they can wake up and go eat something these things are basically rewarding the waking up process and then you know if it's something like having to go to the bathroom that wakes the individual up then make sure they're like reducing their drinking after 6 p.m. so that they have uh, more ability to sleep through Okay, really good advice. And then, and then, of course, all behaviorists should be able to assist you with, with sleep problems. Like ABA, we actually have sleep programs that we can do overnight. So we'll, our staff can help with that. And I don't know where you are, but a BCBA can help you with sleep. Okay, wonderful. want to move on to another question. My son has a fine tremor when attempting fine motor skills. I think he would benefit greatly from occupational therapy. Have you seen this in other children with autism? I have mentioned it to his pediatrician and neurologist, and I have not been satisfied with their answers. Please advise. I have seen it, and I've seen it more than just in individuals with autism. And, uh, gosh, I've seen it with kids with ADHD. I've seen it in individuals with the high levels of anxiety. I've actually even seen it with allergies. So I'm not too concerned about a high tremor because it's a mild tremor, but it's continual. But as long as you've been through a neurologist, um, I would say, you know, that's where I would go because that the only reason you'd be concerned is if this is developing into some neurological or is a symptom of some severe neurological disorder like Parkinson's or, uh, you know, any other kind of neurological issue. Um, outside of that, uh, I've found kids who are t begin to take ADHD medication that stops, um, and anxiety medication tends to improve it with some individuals as well. Okay. Um, other than that, you know, really, the, when some, when it comes to something like tremors, you you need to gain the expertise of a neurologist. And I'm sorry. If you haven't found the right answers, you should probably uh, see another neurologist. Yeah, I think any time we, and it happens so often, uh, you know, all doctors aren't going to click with all people, but any time right. we don't right. we don't feel like we got enough of an answer, any time, right. whether it's a child with autism or it's a tremor or anything that's going on with right. your health care, we have to listen to that inner self. I think it's one of the hardest things about autism, Dr. Grimbachet, that we, for so long, we, you know, we thought something was going on and somebody poo-pooed it, and it becomes hard after that to listen to our gut, but we need to get back to that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. We, we question ourselves a lot. Yeah. And then on the other hand, we also need to be aware and open to what professionals are telling us because sometimes I find that we're in denial. Yes. And it's really being in denial is more about our own egos than it is about our child's symptoms. And I have, I have parents that I meet where the, they 
all they really want to be able to tell me at intake is how intelligent the child is and I'm very aware of that I, I am aware that children with autism are very intelligent and so it's it's more if you get stuck on something like that you just have to you have to be aware of what people tell you uh, as professionals and then you have to have the uh, self-confidence I suppose to kind of see what feels right to you okay um, the tremor issue the last point I want to make on that is pay attention to whether it increases during high stress high anxiety situations if that's the case then you know for sure this is an anxiety related symptom okay great great advice we're going to take another break and be back with more of ask dr doreen after these messages hi this is lee Sackerman back again talk of facts wanted to share with one of the most popular questions that we get and that is do children with autism recover I don't know how to say it loud enough. Yes! Scream it from the mountaintops. We've seen it and witnessed it for over a decade at Taka. Thousands of children that lose their diagnosis. They become indistinguishable from their peers following therapeutics and medical intervention. And in 2013, the NIH, the National Institute of Health, agreed. They studied children uh, that had an autism diagnosis and did an in-depth analysis and yes, so showed that children with autism actually can recover. And what I'm so excited about is the odds are in your favor. The study concluded that 10 to 20% of children with autism will recover after intensive early intervention and therapeutics and medical intervention. You may be thinking, wait, wait, 10, 20%, that doesn't seem like a big number. Let me tell you why it is. For decades, we've been told autism is a no hope, nothing you can do. And what we know today is, yes, there is hope. So now that people know that recovery is possible, it's actually an option that can happen for families that you know, put what they can into the journey and God willing get their kids through the other side so they can live their lives in a beautiful way. I'm excited to share with you that recovery is possible. So now we can all shoot for that together. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampache and she's answering our questions and we're learning so much. So I wanna move on to the next one. My son has ASD and is currently enrolled in a private Jewish day school. The school is fairly accommodating to his special needs but he struggles with social nuances of classroom interactivity and he's struggling to make friends and get along. Are there any resources that can help us get an aid into his classroom to help facilitate appropriate behavior so he does not ostracize his classmates unintentionally with his eccentricities and we don't have an age on this child and we don't have uh, a location that's okay. I, okay I feel like I get this situation all right I've had so many kids in this situation okay so you need uh, I guess you need an, an advocate or an attorney as a resource first because you do need to get an aid um, there's two ways to get an aid. The first way to get an aid is to go, just go through the school system and well, you go to an IEP and you'll request uh, a one-to-one -one aid and then the school will most likely say no because it sounds like your child's pretty high functioning. So then the school will probably say no and if they say no, then it, it takes you to, through the process of you know trying to get an advocate and then going to mediation possibly and if that doesn't work then going, uh, going to due process which I don't think it'll get that far because if you're only asking for an aid that's not a major thing and you can just get that in the IEP and it will happen but the problem is that the majority of the aids are not trained and they don't care and I mean I can't I've been to schools where 
the aide is outside having a cigarette instead of being watching the child and doing what they're supposed to do. So the other way to go about this is that you go to an agency first, so like a provider like CARD or any other ABA agency, and I don't know where you are, but you know, in California, this is very common, and in many other states. Some states are very strict about school uh, process, but you should be able to manage this. It's Years ago, it used to be much harder. So you get a, an agency, and then the agency does an evaluation and makes a, makes a recommendation that your child needs an aid. And so that's what I would do, for instance. And then I would say, but I wouldn't just give the child an aid. I never just give the child an aid because I need a home program running concurrently because what I teach in the home program, you know, it's one thing to have an aide there that's going to, who is going to assist the child and, you know, interact and teach the child on the job sort of more appropriate skills. But at the same time, I kind of need the, the work at home, the tutoring, the, the, where the child really starts to learn things like, oh, I'm being, you know, arrogant, or I'm, you know, I'm not reacting to other people's facial expressions, or I'm not really reading social cues appropriately. And that's where you work on those things at home, and then they're kind of mainstream or, you know, integrated into the school environment. So you could also start with an agency, and the agency will write you a letter of recommendation and or a report based on evaluating your child, and then that is what you take to the school. And then the school, and, and when an agency is involved, I don't know about all other agencies, some other agencies work together with the school. With us, we will want our aid, so it's not really a school district aid, it's one of our people, and then the school might fight that a little bit more, but then obviously once you get it, it's much higher quality. Yeah. These days, the schools don't fight it very much because there's also insurance funding, so they know that they're not gonna get stuck with the whole bill. In the old days, like maybe 10 or 20 years ago, they used to fight it pretty significantly because they were worried about opening the door. But, you know, I'll just tell you as an organization about, think, like right now for us in California alone, I would say it's probably about 70% of all of our kids are funded by insurance and only about 30% of our overall, not even, I would say maybe 10% of our overall funding is school districts and the other 20% is probably regional centers. But, um, so it's not a major thing. You should be able to get an aid funded by the school um, to accompany your child and then they have to follow a series of steps and programs to help with all social areas. You sound like you're very involved and you sound very eloquent and that you know your child very well and your child sounds high functioning. So I would really recommend for you to um, get into uh, skills advanced cognition. This is the new subdivision of skills which is really all about um, advanced stuff. And I think it's, I'm not sure if it's public. I think it is public now. I, I, you I, seen I have not seen this. Yeah, and I want to go in right now and look at this. Yeah. Okay. So it's the breakout of the skills higher area curriculum. Very cool. And it is pretty cool in that it just focuses on these social areas. Okay. Sounds exciting to me too. And I love the idea of starting, you know, whenever you're in an argument, if, if it's just you standing and having an argument and they have a bunch of people on their side that are experts, you're really not going to be as effective as if you have experts on your side. Oh, yes. And so if you start 
start with a provider that you know is going to be able to give you a good quality aid and they are on your side saying your child needs it, your fight is going to be that much easier. Absolutely. So I love, I love, love, love this advice because it gets, it's more efficient and you'll actually get something that's worthwhile. I can't tell you how many parents I've heard that they fought and fought and fought to get the aid and then what they got was, was something really bad. What, yeah, it wasn't yeah. what they were looking for. So this, I love this advice. It's much, much more effective. And then do us a favor and write back to us and let us know how you do with that. And, and you know, I think the hardest part is getting the advocacy. We do know a few advocates and lawyers. And so if you need help finding someone, write in to us and tell us where you are. Yes, absolutely. Okay, somebody wants to know, uh, and now I've lost it, of course. <laughs> well, let's go to this one instead. Does Medicaid cover ABA in Louisiana? We contacted a place that uh, says it does, but it will cost $10,000 outside of that. My son is severely autistic, four and nonverbal. We need ABA desperately to give him a voice and a chance. Please help us. Good grief. Yeah. Yes, it does. And we're in the process, I think, of getting approved. And when you receive Medicaid, I don't think there, there shouldn't be additional costs to you. So I'm not sure about all that, like why they're telling you that it'll cost you additionally. I would suggest that you contact, uh, I mean, our contracts department here will help you. They know all the answers to all of these things. Uh, if you can either call our Louisiana office, which is Baton Rouge, and I think they might refer you back to contracts here centrally. Uh -huh. um, and our contracts, uh, I guess you call our, our main headquarters, which is... I don't know what the 800 number is. Do you? Uh, it's 800-345-CARD. Oh, okay. So uh, I, I just recently figured out how easy that was. That's awesome. But I honestly think it might even be better. Just call, yeah, call that number, and they'll be able to put you Ask through. Ask for contracts. Yeah. Well, and they'll and they'll also be able to help figure out because if you're, they'll help you to figure out what might be the best course. They're really good down there. I know they're, they are, they're they're, so but they're helpful. really really busy. And here's the other. 211 Louisiana yes. will also help you. Absolutely. One of the things 211 does is fill out your Medicaid paperwork. And yes. I think that is an amazing benefit. Really, really remarkable. Okay, I found the other question. Is sensory processing disorder considered autism? Oh, wow, what a fantastic Isn't question. A, uh, yes, I'm glad I found it. So, you know, no, it's not. To answer your question, no, it's not. But it's really more of a matter of uh, of just perspective, I think. You know, a lot of the symptoms of uh, sensory processing disorder are very similar to the symptoms of autism, but or to, let's say, the causes of autism that persist. So let me just put it this way. Sensory processing problems, in my mind, tend to lead to the symptoms of autism. If you think about all the issues involved with sensory processing, uh, and if that happens to you when you're very, very young as a developing brain, you are going to de develop things like delayed speech and not knowing how to socialize and so on because you are so, so certain sensory stimuli are uh, sort of entering or coming at you too strong and you then tend to shut them off and others are very difficult to, to decipher. Uh, I always refer to one of my recovered individuals who told me that the sound of language was background noise to him and background noise and doors opening and, and so on were much, much louder. And so it was very difficult for him to be able to concentrate on language. And, if you, and that's a complete sensory issue.
issue. And if you're not able to concentrate on a particular stimulus, you won't learn it as much as the things that are more pre prevalent in, in your system. Same thing with visual. I mean, I see some of my kids, I'm pretty sure they're aware of a lot of stuff. Like I can see them checking things right but they don't give eye contact mm -hmm. and if you're not really able to give eye contact to a human being you're not going to learn facial expressions you're not going to learn all the nuances and messages that go with eye contact so or even being able to focus i'm pretty convinced there's a lot having to do with the visual aspect of mm -hmm. things with our kids because they're so unable to look at things the same way we do they have a completely different visual integrative field it's very different for our kids and even when you get eye contact a lot of the kids will look at you just like this yeah. you know there's yeah. something very significant going on so in my perspective the sensory issues are actually what lead to those symptoms we call autism okay all right really remarkable we're going to take another break and be back with more of ask dr doreen after these messages Today, we're going to be making homemade glow-in-the-dark bouncy balls. So let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are two mixing bowls, something to stir with, measuring spoons, borax, cornstarch, water, glue, and glow paint and food coloring. So step one, you're going to take one of your measuring bowls and you're going to measure out half a teaspoon of borax four tablespoons of cornstarch, and four tablespoons of water. Then you're going to mix that all together. I'm going to set this aside. In another bowl, I'm going to mix my glue and my glow-in-the-dark paint and any food coloring I want to use to make it a special color. two separate bowls with the mixtures in them. Now I'm going to put them together, letting them sit for the next 15 seconds, and then I'll stir them together. It's important that you let them sit for a moment before stirring so they can do their magical thing. Now that the 15 seconds is over, I'm going to stir together the mixture, making sure to stir thoroughly until I can no longer do it anymore. You'll see what I mean in a second. Now that I can no longer stir it, I'm going to start rolling around in my hands to make a ball. And voila, very own homemade bouncy ball. Woo! Well, I hope you had fun with this activity today. Until next time, drop down, guys. Can you see me flying by your side? Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampuche, and she's answering your questions on the live feature. So thrilled to have you here. Thank so you. I'm going to jump into another question. Why do children with ASD sometimes twist their hands and finger, fingers into unusual poses? I don't know. Um, and I have seen that, but I don't know. I really can't explain it. I mean, perhaps they're tensing the muscles. Um, I've seen kids also do the, you know, just sort of like squeeze their muscles. I don't know if that's the same kind of fe uh, feeling. Mm -hmm. Could also just be a habit that they've developed. It could also be something that's responding to sort of something you do in moments of anxiety. I honestly don't know. I mean, I observe it's it's not common, 
um, but I have seen it, and I'm not sure. And also, it, it might have something to do with, you know, how a lot of children, what's more common is they'll just, uh, for instance, look at something. The other day I had a little girl and she was looking at my nails or something, mm -hmm. and then she did this little flipping on my nails, like yeah. flicking of her fingers, you know, so why do they do that? Yeah. I'm not sure it's related to the maybe uh, not enough sensory input. I'm not sure. You know, uh, it was one of the things that I always wondered about when Jem did his stim behaviors, and still he has some vocal things that he likes to do in his spare time. He mm -hmm. can control it mm -hmm. and choose when he does it, which is what was important to me. But I remember taking one day and mm -hmm. just saying, I'm going to do all the things that he does and just see what the deal is, because he, he was a hand flapper, that he would do this. Mm -hmm. And it was a very a day that I had a lot of anxiety, and I started doing this, and I went, you know, I feel better. <laughs> That's so interesting. That's I, funny. I feel better. I don't know what yeah. it is about that yeah. that calmed yeah. me down. Right. And I thought, well, how interesting is that? And then there were other things that I did that kind of woke me up. Mm -hmm. So, well, I mean, that's there's this type of therapy in psychology, you know, tapping that involves yes. that. Mm -hmm. And so that is also actually tapping key parts. I don't remember it. I got trained in it. I, but did, I, don't I did too. And there was just, there's a whole like a, yeah and, yeah and, it starts yeah here oh, and, and, and here this and was here the, right yes, right right yes, yes. and you tap. Uh, certain parts of your body and it is like beyond belief effective for yeah. PTSD for post-traumatic stress disorder and I'm not sure you know the how, the science behind it I mean you are not, you are basically uh, I guess accessing certain energy channels and so on but it, the fact that it works is undisputed. It is the mm -hmm. primary type of intervention for people who've been through severe trauma. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot we don't know. There about is a that. lot we yeah, don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really remarkable. Okay, so uh, we're gonna continue on. A uh, bunch of people wanting to know when you're gonna come where they are. Somebody wanted to know if you were coming to New York. De uh, dearest Dr. Doreen, when will you be coming to New York? I hope to attend one of your seminars someday here. My five-year-old son finally got coverage with you guys from his insurance, Fidelis Care, and I'm extremely thankful to Deidre King. Just saw her in the documentary Sounding the Alarm. Thank you, Card. Thank you, Dr. Doreen. Oh, thank you. We were so happy when that insurance company finally put us in network, and we got so many families in New York that needed that coverage. So we were thankful and also uh, to be able to help you and work with your child. I don't have anything planned for New York, although I should, because we're just in the middle of opening a site in Manhattan. Um, and so I should probably visit somewhere towards the end of this year, probably somewhere fall or uh, it won't be winter is kind of a crazy time for me. But maybe in the fall I'll, I'll be coming out. Next week I'm in Washington, D.C. Um, for just a couple of days. and. Uh, you know, and worst case scenario, what I tell everyone, <laughs> God, I hope I can follow through on this. Next year is CARD's 25th anniversary, and I will be traveling and seeing as many of the offices as I can. Okay. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Something to look forward to. Okay, and another person wants to know, hi, when will CARD be in Palm Beach County? I believe you are on the West Coast in Florida, but not in the East Coast where we live. We have CMS Medicaid. Right. We're not in Florida yet. We people A lot of times people think that we are in Florida, and that's because there's another CARD there, Center for Autism and Related Disabilities. Okay. We've actually asked them numerous times, both personally and legally, to change their name because we own the name card, but they are they hide behind the University of Florida. 
they claim they are part of the University of Florida, and the University of Florida has been there since 1800s, and so therefore uh, private uh, entities cannot file anything against universities. Mm, this is the same problem we have with CARD, uh, which is associated with Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. If you're associated with a university, private entity can't do anything about you using the name, which is kind of odd. Yeah. But anyway, so we're not in Florida. We are providing some services in the uh, Fort Myers area, but not a lot yet. So I, I think we've started providing some services. We're in the process of looking at um, taking over an existing agency in Jacksonville. And if we take that agency over, obviously their entire thing would change to a card model. The only reason we would take them over is because they're already approved for Medicaid and also they are uh, they have VCBAs that we would retrain and, and they have staff. So that would be very helpful to us. That's Jacksonville. Um, I haven't looked at anything further south. I haven't looked at, uh, I should look at Miami and Fort Lauderdale and, and Palm Beach and so on, but I haven't. And uh, it's time for us to do that. And, you know, when parents assist us is really what helps us move forward. Um, <clears throat> As I said, I think we are, uh, we just got approved with Medicaid in Florida, or we're very close to getting approved. And if we take over this other agency, we'll have the approval anyway. So that would not be an issue. We would receive that funding and we'd be fine with that. But it's a matter of getting us started there. And it, the way we start is always when a few families get together and require services, then we'll send out staff just to start with one family or two families. And then as it grows, it gets to a point where it's feasible for us to actually open a site. I always think back to, we did an interview with, I cannot remember which family it was in Boston that had been a part of when uh, they were one of the first families that you serviced yes. in Boston. And uh, we were talking and, and she said, you know, we always thought of it was like a field of dreams. If, mm -hmm. if you build, build it, they, it, they will, will come. come. And she said, you know, we were, we were determined that we were going to have cards services and it wasn't here and we got together with some other families and now there's two offices in Boston because that group of families built it and card that's right. came and that's, that's very true. if you want card anywhere whoever is listening if you want card get together uh, some families and and you know have that infrastructure of families that want to come you can start having those remote services and card will come to where you are absolutely and I will say that I've Aside from the first card and the second card, which was New York, um, all other cards, and we're up to about 30 now, all other centers were initiated by parents, like very clearly. And plus, we've closed down a few over the years, which were international and turned them into franchises. Those were initiated by parent groups as well. It's always about what the parents put together. If you are interested in opening, having a card near you, just contact our expansion director, which is John Galley, and I've given his information out a few times. It's j.galley, G-A-L-L-E, at centerforautism.com, and he's right on that. Okay, next question. Good morning. Atten uh, attention from my husband is my son's most powerful reinforcer. We are working on decreasing his disruptive and property damage, which are negative attention seeking. Can we use him, dad, as a reward or should we schedule time with him during the day? Like after day program, every 30 minutes, he can spend a few minutes with his dad to help manage his aggressive outbursts. My son is 24 and understands everything that is said to him. He can be very verbal, but often chooses not to use his words. 
words and they said thank you? I think it's a great question. It's a great about, question. I and you certainly should uh, um, have consider the fact the attention from that as a reinforcer. Absolutely, but be very cautious. You don't want dad. I think I read or I heard. You're thinking about having dad work on the aggression issues. I wouldn't do it that way. I would actually have, uh, you know, get a professional involved because then the way that you do it is you basically, if there has been no aggression that period of time, let's say that day or that morning or that hour, then the child gets to spend some time with dad. And the time spent with dad is just fun. Right. Now, and it doesn't have to be like for every hour he spends an hour, not at all. It could be for every three hours or four hours or half day and you gradually increase that, that the child is behaving well and doesn't have aggressive behavior, then they spend 15 minutes with that or half an hour with that, whatever is effective. And that is important to do. Um, but in terms of dealing with the aggression itself, it would be a real much more important that you do a whole functional assessment, figure out exactly when the aggression is happening, for what function, what reason, and then handle it appropriately. Okay, wonderful, wonderful advice. We're going to take a short break and come back with more of Ask Dr. Doreen after these messages. What is autism? 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 Uh, <laughs> I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> trying to, uh, just, uh... Let me think. <laughs> oh man, that's a tough one. Yes. Uh, autism. Uh, uh... Autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability, and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another, it's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun, joy, autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampache. She's answering your questions on the live feature on autism-live.com. We've still got a couple of minutes, so you can be writing in your questions right now. And if we don't get to something, we keep them in the mix to answer them another week. So somebody wants to know, we've been talking a little bit about anxiety. Somebody wants mm -hmm. to know, can you recommend some good social anxiety resources? My son has high-functioning autism and attends our local university. And she says, thank you. Gosh, anxiety is such a big factor for our higher-functioning individuals. Um, I would, in terms of resources, and I hope it's there, I gave some, I did a lot of research because I've given a few presentations on anxiety, um, and I would recommend that you go on the CARD website and look for my PowerPoint, my presentation. I think a lot of my talks are on the CARD website. I hope they are. If they're not, you can certainly email um, 
card the the general card email and it will get to me saying you know ask where are dr grampish's presentations and we did two shows with you on, with, anxiety, on anxiety that featured the that yeah, whole presentation exactly. and it's called anxiety show part one and anxiety right. show part two and i really think you should take a look at that because there's a lot you can do for anxiety um from medication to just exercises breathing exercises um you know things that you can do like reducing fear activities desensitization and then there's worksheets there's books out there there's a lot of stuff you can do and it is very very important just i've tried to put in those presentations as much as I could think of in terms of like little things like giving the individual um, some item that makes them that is associated with comfort even there's a billion things you can do so um, start there and then um, I think that's probably your best bet because I don't know too many psychologists who deal with kids on our spectrum and I know and I know most behavior analysts don't believe too much in cognitive things like anxiety. Um, I do. I think anxiety plays is probably the biggest role in everybody's lives, and uh, so therefore I think it, you you can start with the resource that I give on the PowerPoint, and there's a lot of little books and so on listed there too. Absolutely, and I, I've shared before on the show that I have I had debilitating, de, debilitating. There's the word I want. Anxiety, and and even I got to a panic um, disorder time, and I have shared before on the show that I did cognitive behavioral therapy to get better. And there was a workbook that they made me get. It's called the Anxiety and Panic Disorder Workbook. Great. And you can get it at Barnes and Noble. Great. And it's just worksheets that you go through yourself. Um, and then I had you know somebody that would I would talk through them with but those worksheets were really honestly the thing that did the ticket for me That's awesome. it just restructured how I thought about certain That's things right. and gave me you know what it did is it gave me a replacement behavior that when the panic would come up I had other things to do that's very the, good the worksheets gave those that's to me very good and I've recommended that to many people and said get that's that work wonderful <laughs> I should get that for um, someone I know as well who could really benefit from that but you know the thing and that's fan uh, fabulous that they worked as a replacement so you'd already yeah. gotten to the point where you would reach out to it when it was beginning to happen for me I I guess uh, I think everything I've learned in psychology about anxiety helps me very significantly if it's a very high anxiety provoking situation I immediately turn to all the things I know um, and I've tried to do that for my kids um, because once you learn more about anxiety it just doesn't make sense anymore. It's kind of like, oh, okay, this is just the perfectionist in me. Or, oh, okay, this is just that and that, you know, so fear of failure or embarrassment, you know, all these things. And yeah. then it becomes very clear to you how to deal with it. But if, you, if you're not able to recognize it and it does go to the level of being panic disorder, it's really debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. And just what you were saying reminded me too that uh, Evelyn Gould, who we have on the show from time to time, right. who talks about acceptance commitment therapy, um, talks about the book called The Reality Slap mm -hmm. um, that is written by, That's uh, right. That's a, very by good a parent That's right. of a child on the autism spectrum, which is just incidental to what the book is about, which right. I love. That right. It's incidental, but that you know that he understands what he's talking about. It's a great book. And yeah. talking about how when you're having those feelings,
feelings that looking at what what your moral compass is and why this matters to you so much which puts it in a context it changes that you don't your have perspective. to pan yeah that's exactly right. that's right so the, and that's the book called the reality slap right. it might be something good for you to read and for a 23 year old who's going to college might be something that he could benefit from as absolutely. well absolutely or the worksheets that you just mentioned absolutely uh, wonderful wonderful all right I so this is a question that I'm really interested in why does my child speak more after we spin him and mm. we saw this in our son when he was little too really so what's what's the deal with that let's see from a physiological perspective I suppose um, it is increasing neurotransmitters for sure because you're producing sort of that um, adrenaline goes up right when you're spinning him so then you're modifying neurotransmitters so this would probably be someone whose neurotransmitters are off balance most of us are uh, okay. not really well balanced neurotransmitters have a very direct relationship to what we eat so um, that would probably explain it and of course you know the primary medication that works with a lot of children is the the uh, SSRIs which are the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and mm -hmm. serotonin is a neurotransmitter um, a lot of our kids who are sort of don't show signs of empathy or so on that would be dealing with their dopamine neuro but it's all um, neurotransmitters so that would probably make sense why that happens it has something to do with a rush uh, surge you know a lot of parents tell me that their kids speak a lot more or become much more awake and so on when they have a fever mm -hmm. and yes. that might have something to do with it as well because of obviously fevers are metabolic change mm -hmm. so you know we don't know enough about autism but I'm pretty sure that it would have something to do with the surge of neurotransmitters we we just looked at it as a gift when we <laughs> discovered that and and how we discovered it it was very popular eight nine years ago for OTs to do something called astronaut training mm -hmm. and it's a very specific set of exercises that they put your kid basically on a turntable and turn them ten times Yikes. one way and then yeah. ten times now I got dizzy watching it yes I wanted to just you know hurl watching yes. it and yes. my son loved, loved it. it and he would come up off the thing and and be talking in a sentence where he wasn't before and it gave us all kinds of encouragement yes. like it wouldn't last yes but but it, it, it gave us encouragement that we knew the ability was there yeah, absolutely. And, and then to find other ways to bring it out that were more practical because you can't take a turntable with you everywhere all the time. right that's really fascinating that a lot of kids as you know love uh, roller coasters yes. like they do so well with roller coasters and that is similar it's the same type of thing yeah. Gosh, I, we should do some studies on this. It's so fascinating. Is that is it still that way with him? Um, you know, he doesn't spin anymore, and so we used to put him in the office chair and spin him. Right. Um, and I, I don't know. I should try spinning him at home and see. But he would spin on his own accord yeah. too. But he just doesn't do it anymore. And and I'll tell you one of the things that when we were in our first year at Card, we talked about it with Sabrina, our case manager, and we were we were trying to decide whether to get the the Disney season pass so that we could go mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And she encouraged us if we could afford it to do that because it was his reward. Mm -hmm. And what we would find is that he would work really hard. We had, had Disney. He had Disney dollars, and when he got a certain number of Disney dollars as a reward, we would go to Disneyland for an mm -hmm. afternoon, not a long time. And he would go on all the rides that would spin and do all that. And we would find we would get good behavior because he wanted it, and then he would speak better for maybe two days afterwards. So that's the thing, and I think part of the reason that Disney and and all these places become reinforcing is because of the way kids feel after these rides. Yeah. 
And it's just amazing that no one has done something with this because it sounds so promising. Yeah. Well, and there, and as I said, for a long time, there well, for like a year, the hot thing was for OTs to do that astronaut training. And I, I don't know if they still do it. I haven't heard much about it I recently. I haven't heard it at all. Well, I'll hook you up with a resource to it because it was fascinating. We built a little turntable yeah, at home for a while. that would be awesome. That's uh, Because the office chair got to be too small for it. They had to lay down on one side and then lay down on the other side. And you have to spin them one way and the other way. And then they have to sit up and then they have to put their head between their knees for one spinning it was a whole series that we had to follow Amazing. for our OT but we would get some language out of it uh, and it was it gave us a lot a lot of hope I, I can't believe we're out of time yeah. uh, but I want to thank you for this time My always pleasure. and all the things that we learned and I want to thank all of our viewers for what you write in I learned so much from all of you you know what I always say we, we get through this together yeah uh, we all learn from each other so si se puede right so uh, we will we have you next week yes okay wonderful and we're going to take a break now and oh actually i think isn't next week next week is when i'm in the in well you were washington. talking about being in washington that's why i'm I didn't in know washington it was yeah yeah it's tuesday wednesday thursday right. well, unfortunately. we'll figure that out yeah we'll figure that out and be back in touch with you guys but we're going to take a break now and go to the a word this is the ongoing documentary being made by the center for autism and related disorders that follows a little boy jack riley after he was diagnosed at the age of two and as he starts his early intensive behavioral intervention. It's really fascinating. And we showcase one episode for an entire week and, and uh, share information about it and talk about it. But you can watch the entire series at any point on its very own YouTube channel. And after that, we're going to be back with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy and our very special guest singer Sophie Rose is with us. So stick with us. Here is the A word. Jack Riley starts his day with Jessica and AB therapy at 8 a.m. Each session he has lasts around two hours, with a total amount of therapy of 40 hours per week. This includes occupational therapy, speech therapy, and ABA therapy. What do you want to play with today? Trains. That's what okay. I thought. <laughs> Yay, there you go. It's trains and tracks. So what's an average of programs you try to get done in a session with a kid? Um, I try to incorporate a lot of things as much as I can. Like, um, for instance, if he was playing with trains, I'd incorporate functional pretend play. So that's just basically teaching him how to play with the toy appropriately, the way it's supposed to be played. Building a track and having a move and using vocalizations. Choo-choo, let's go, all aboard, things like that. Choo-choo! All right, say all aboard! All aboard! All right! He's so little, we're building a lot of language. It's language, language, language all the time. So we work on banding, so having him request for things for me. We can also work on tacting, which is having him label like the colors, the names of the trains. Also, we can work on um, getting attention. I would withhold the preferred trains or tracks and have him tap my shoulder to get more pieces. He wants go. Hi, what do you want? You want trains. We can also work on compliance, like <clears throat> come here, give it to me, wait. Come here. Yay! 
as far as his behaviors, I haven't really seen anything. Hey, sit up. Oh, just now. Yeah, with his visual stereotypy, his is just um, looking at things from a different angle or sideways or upside down. But he rarely engages in that except just now. What? Pickers. Huh? Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Susan. Hi. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm filming you. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Can you say hi? Hi. Hi, everybody. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Who is that? Jack. Jack? Jack who? Jack Riley. Where's your nose? Where's your ears? Where's your eyes? Where's your chin? Ooh. Where's your teeth? Mm -hmm. Where's your head? Where's your tummy? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna need you now. Give me clothes. Good job. What's a hat? Clothes! Oh my goodness, you're so smart! Jessica and Jack Riley are continuing to work on categories. Give me vehicle. Give me vehicle. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Give me a vehicle. Nice! What's a fire truck? Fire truck. What is it? It's a vehicle. Cool. Give me clothes. Good job. What's a dress? Clothes. Clothes. Nice. Here you go. Here's your sticker. Give me furniture. Nice job. What's the table? Furniture. Furniture. Perfect. Give me clothes. Good job. What's the jacket? Good morning to let's talk. <laughs> Can you talk? Hello. Repeat, rewind, delete. Good morning, and it's time for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspaugh Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm thrilled that you're here. <laughs> Thank you. I have allergies or a cold or something. You're like kind of the walking break. wounded today. Yes, yes. Yeah, she's here, and she's on it, and you look beautiful. You're well, looking all tangerine. You. And tangerine. And pretty. I almost, I had tangerine on at one oh, point that this morning, been fun. and then I took it off. We looked like orange I, popsicles. Well, and I, I 
I have, especially before I put on makeup, I have such horrible rosacea. So I put tangerine on and I just look like somebody dunked me <laughs> in a popsicle vat. You know, it's just terrible. So it's not my color, but it's sure you're working it, girl. Oh, so. thank you. Thank you. Well, and uh, you wanted to talk just for a second at the start of the show that last week there were a lot of stories in the news. Yeah, I mean, autism. my eyes are it swollen worked. from allergies today, but last week on Wednesday, I was so... I know you felt this way too. Yeah, we, sometimes it just kicks your keister. Sometimes, you know, if you're if you are a empathetic person, which yeah. I think every autism parent is, yeah. um, some of these stories. And of course, last week we had the story of the young boy in Anaheim, a Vietnamese family who, in order to control him and his aggressive, self-injurious behaviors, they kept him in a cage. Yeah. And that story is still ongoing. Act Today is trying to reach out to help the child mm -hmm. who is in the foster care system at this point. So more to come on that. But that one really kind of got everybody. Yeah. And then there was the young boy in Maryland, five-year-old boy, who, his grandparents were his guardian. We can only assume that the parents left him with the grandparents and apparently just, you know, wonderful people who had taken such good care of this young boy. And he was known for eloping and wandering. And within five seconds, he was out the door and drowned in a five-foot pool of water. So um, after reading that story, I just was, I think we get to that point sometimes where we feel like, when will it end? Yeah. When will all of these tragic stories end about our children that obviously aren't getting the kinds of therapy and care and treatment they need? Yeah. And um, then I went to see my son in the Miracle Project production over at Cal State Northridge, uh, Elaine Hall um, joining the spectrum, and you and Jem and Jim came on yes. Friday. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of the show and show a couple of pictures. Um, we're going to have Elaine back on with some of the stars of the production. Yeah. But it really restored my faith yeah. in just our autism community that while yes there are tragedies there are also miracles happening yep. every day and and then i was reading thomas merton who's the great um, monk and father of contemplative prayer and he, there was a line about only in our devastation can we find you know salvation mm -hmm. and that we can't be undone by the cruelty and horror in the world that we have to keep pushing in the name of love and it, it just you know things changed after that for me and i love that you qu quote thomas merton i love to quote dory from finding nemo just keep swimming <laughs> <laughs> kind of tells you a little bit about nancy and i <laughs> keep going one foot well 99 percent of it is just showing up they say i think that yes. was woody allen that's well so <laughs> not interested in quoting him yeah but <laughs> Let's quote Dr. Seuss instead. Yes. Uh, in any case, we've got some stories that we want to cover, and we've got a lovely, lovely guest who's yes, here with us do. today. All week long, we've talking about been talking about making a difference, mm -hmm. and we've got a young woman who's going to be sharing some of her talents and showing us how she's making a difference. Yes, Sophie Rose, who yes. is a phenomenally talented singer-songwriter who I've had the, the privilege of watching grow up. I first met uh, Sophie. She must have been about four or five. Wow. And it's, it's amazing. 
amazing to see the young woman she's blossomed into and the work she's done for Act Today. And she is going to be honored this year on October 19th at our Denim and Diamonds for Autism fundraiser Beautiful. at the Four Seasons in Westlake Village. She's going to be getting the Golden Cowgirl Award, which Love is it. given to community activists. And she has written a song for Act Today oh. that we're going to hear today. Really? So, yeah. Looking forward to that in our next segment. But we have a couple of news stories. One that hits a little bit close to home for you because yes. you're a North Carolina girl. Yes. Well, I was born in North Carolina, raised mostly in Virginia, but a lot of my family is still there. In fact, we're going to a family reunion in August. A hundred and some of us are showing up from the All Spa family. The, those, and, crazy and, all spas. <laughs> those crazy All Spas. Those crazy All Spas. We'll be getting and, together. Um, yeah, we're, but yesterday it, was a big day in North Carolina it for was. autism. It, yeah. it, they were calling it a showdown. Uh, the, the North Carolina families gathered on the steps of the Capitol for a big rally because they're fighting to get autism coverage once and for all on the books. It was a pretty impressive rally. The time is running short. We want to make sure that everybody knows that this really is important for everybody who lives in North Carolina. And honestly, it's important for all of us. If you think about that, you know, each state we've we've had our little battles and we've needed support along the way. So whether it's just think a good thought for those yes. in North Carolina or make a phone call if you mm -hmm. have family in North Carolina. Uh, if you are in North Carolina, make sure that you're advocating and letting your voice be heard. But yesterday they did. I had a sneeze. Okay. Sure. As I said, allergies. So bear Bless with me. You. Bless you. Bless uh, you. But they were on the steps of the Capitol yesterday fighting for this. Uh, the North Carolina House of Representatives twice since two thir 2013 has passed legislation that were, would require state regulated private health insurers to cover autism treatments such as ABA mm -hmm. as well as speech, occupational and physical therapies. Um, but there is, there's a big contingent that continues to argue that ABA is experimental and should be provided in schools at taxpayer expense. Uh, in the House, Speaker Tom Tillis has championed mm -hmm. the bill. He has. I just and we, no. we want to thank him for that. Thank we, you, Speaker, House Speaker Tom Tillis. Big shout out to you. Yes. Um, but it needs to be approved. Um, so they were on the Capitol and they were on the Capitol steps. Liz Feld from Autism Speaks was there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and she op uh, issued an open letter to Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. And they have lobbied. They have been lobbying against the bill. And yes. they're the ones that are saying it's educational rather than medical. And, and, and I think that is unconscionable because mm -hmm. Blue Cross is covering it in other states. Yes. They are opening themselves up to a lawsuit. They need to be aware of that. I don't understand what grounds they're saying that it's experimental when there are hundreds of studies that show how effective autism is. Yes, and Liz Field said it's not experimental, it's not theoretical. Yeah. And we don't have to wonder if it's going to work. We That's do know. Right. We absolutely know. So we stand in solidarity with those of you in North Carolina, and we encourage everyone within the sounds of our voices to make sure that you let people in North Carolina know that we stand, that you stand with them as well. And if you have the ability to vote in North Carolina, make sure that you are telling your legislators where you stand on this issue. And then we can all collectively say thank you, go home to Blue Cross Blue Shield for yes. their opinions about it being experimental. 
That's right. That's all. And then another story that, you know, it, it saddens me. Um, I, sometimes our legislators, they think that they're doing something that's good, and sometimes they miss the mark. Mm -hmm. It's just a communication. But mm -hmm. we, we want to report to you about a story that um, sheltered workshop eligibility may soon be limited. In the past, there, there has been the ability for individuals who have disabilities to be hired at a rate that is lower than, than, the, minimum wage. than the minimum wage, to work in facilities where they're doing things that are really repetitive and manual yes. in nature, that, yes. they can, that sometimes when we have some people who are more profoundly affected, yes. that's, that's going to be the goal for them, is that's to be right. able to do those kinds and of jobs. And that my brother with Down syndrome, David, worked in a shelter workshop, uh, and, and that was a blessing for my parents. Right. Uh, I think he did, I think he handled uh, putting postage on envelopes, and it was a very meaningful thing for him. He was picked up every day by a bus, he was taken to that sheltered workshop, and he felt a sense of purpose in that. And it gave my parents relief from that period of nine to three that they could have their own lives. Um, and, and one of the arguments here, one of the reasons why they can't afford to pay them more is that they're going to have to have more people there supervising um, the individuals. And, and if we understand the purpose of the, the Wage Act and the way, the reason why we have a minimum wage is so that you can support yourself. And I know that's a big joke to a lot of people because the minimum wage you really can't support yourself mm -hmm. on. But these are individuals who aren't normally, if you qualify for these programs, you're not going to live independently and live on this paycheck. Right. But this is an opportunity to have the self-esteem. In any case, what's happening is that earlier this month, uh, actually last month, the U.S. Senate voted 95 to 3. So a huge majority. Huge majority to approve a sweeping jobs bill known as the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. Now, I know that the intention of this was is, good. They, they, it, yes. they really intended to do a good thing. Yeah, and so they're, they're hoping to get employers to hire more individuals who have disabilities yes. and to get them a more livable wage. But in the course of doing this, what they're effectively doing is wiping out some of these eligible workshops uh, that were legislated to be able to handle, handle a different group of people. So we want to make everybody aware of the fact that this is in danger. It's another reason to talk to our legislators and right. say you need to understand the difference between these two things. Well, they're saying that unless the, the bill would prohibit individuals with disabilities age 24 and younger from working in jobs paying less than the federal minimum wage of $7.25 per hour unless they first try vocational rehabilitation services among other requirements. There will be exceptions for those already working for what's known as sub-minimum wages in cases where the individuals are deemed ineligible for vocational re rehabilitation. I just wonder how they're going to encourage employers to hire some of these disabled individuals. Well, and, and what's the criteria for actually looking at whether they, you know, imagine your brother, would it have been stressful for him to have to try to go through uh, a vocational rehabilitation where he was trying to be trained for a job that was something that could potentially be stressful to him? Right. I right. just wonder who we're leaving this decision with, somebody who gets it or somebody who doesn't. Well, they're, they're leaving it up to state vocational rehabilitation agencies to provide pre-employment transition services. So that will be interesting to see how that all pans out and if in fact it does 
in the long run become beneficial for. We hope that they keep a close eye and make sure that it's actually benefiting people we instead do. of closing them out of we jobs do. that they could mm -hmm. do. All right, so we have a wonderful guest, as we mentioned before. Sophie Rose is here with us. Yes. We're going to take a break. Yeah, we're going to come back with Sophie Rose and find out how she is using her talents to help charitable causes like ACT Today and Children with Autism. So stay with us. Hi, I'm Ryan with Autism Research Group. We study ways to improve the lives of kids with autism. One of those ways is teaching safety skills, such as what to do if they get lost. We hit the streets to find out if anybody knows the correct answer on how to teach a kid what to do if they get lost. You're teaching a child. What to do if they get lost. Yeah, you're trying to okay. make them independent so they have the skills. Gotcha, okay. Well, give them a compass. Codename's good idea, Centurion. We always have this whistle. Um. Oh, I'd also tell the kid, I tell the kid, don't get scared. It's all you're gonna be alright, man. This is just the world. You're this is planet Earth. You're at home here. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're at home. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're home. This guy's a genius. With that flawless logic, he just solved our homeless problem. And as for the unique sounding whistle, although very cool, it'll probably only work if you're in close proximity. And a compass. I have her call me. Yeah, she doesn't have a phone. Parents are like, you're too young, you don't need a phone. Establish some sort of like meeting place. What if they can't find a meeting place? Because sometimes Ooh. the kids get nervous when they get lost. Yeah. So like a backup plan, well, like well, plan B. Yeah, I don't know. No, not really. Let them go and find a new kid or something. <laughs> yeah, I've got a different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not much you can do. There is you, stuff like, you can do. That's right, there is stuff you can do. In 2012, myself, along with my colleagues, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and Dr. Adele Nadowski, published a study in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis on teaching kids what to do when they get lost. The study demonstrated how three simple things, rules, role playing, and praise, were effective in establishing these help-seeking behaviors. The benefit of this method is it doesn't require the child to have a cell phone or to have to locate a meeting place, which might be difficult if they're in a place like Disneyland. So once again, our method included rules, role playing, and praise. Let's head back outside and learn about some of these rules. They should yell out loud. Can't find my mom, my mom, help me. Maybe yell out and scream for help. All right, scream really loud. Correct. And if that don't work, then... I don't know. Well, they could seek help from someone. Find an adult. Yeah, go to a vendor, you know, and say I'm lost. Find an adult, like a police officer or a fireman or an employee in the store, and tell them, and maybe they can help you contact your parent. It really is that simple. You don't need to get your kid a cell phone. You don't need to establish a meeting place that they might not be able to find when they're lost and panicking. And you definitely don't need to give them a compass. All your kid has to do is three things. First, yell mom or dad real loud. Two, if that doesn't work, find an employee, and then third, tell the employee they're lost. If they can't locate an employee, then tell them to find a mother with children, because that's probably the safest person to approach. I'm not saying that most men are predators, but most predators are men. That is a fact. I've read it in a fortune cookie. All right, so you've gone over the rules with your kid, and you've quizzed them, and they're able to tell you the correct responses so they understand the rules, but is that enough? How do you know they're gonna perform correctly in a real world setting? You need to get out there and find out if they can actually do it. So they'd go over the rules and tell them like, do this, do that, but how would you know if they actually knew what to do? If you wanted to shoot a basketball, and I just told you, oh, when you shoot a basketball, do this, this, and this. 
never practice. You never practice. Yeah, so it doesn't matter how many times we go over the rules or how well you can repeat them back to me. It's not going to change until you get on the court and practice. Maybe you do uh, like a, you know, a little skit with them. Like a kind role play. Role like... play. Yeah. Your child. You're lost in the toy aisle. Okay. What do you do? I'm an attendant walking around. <laughs> I'm lost. I don't know where my mom is. And then once you practice, you just like praise them, give them feedback, like good job, you did it. Yes, this woman wins the prize for best comment. She pointed out the most important part of learning reinforcement. Now in our study we used praise but for your kid you might have to use something else. You might have to buy them a treat, a toy, take them to their favorite restaurant where they can eat unhealthy food and run around and climb through plastic tunnels that have the unmistakable scent of urine and then play games spending $20 to get a plastic little spider ring that they will eventually lose in the ball pit. The point is, you need to reward your child for correctly demonstrating what you've been teaching them. Okay, I'm gonna call her. Hello, your child, Ryan. <laughs> so you tested it out in the store to make sure I knew it. I had the rules, we role played it and you made sure I knew it, and then like you said, good job, and all that. Now we're good to go. We're good to go. All right. Done? High five right there. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. Give your child the rules, get out there and practice, and reward your child for responding correctly. For more information, please visit us online at autismresearchgroup.org. I'm Ryan Bergstrom. Thanks for watching. Yes, ding, no. <laughs> Yes, this woman wins the first. Yes, this woman. Yes, this woman wins the best. Yes, this woman wins the first place. Yes, this woman. Why can't I say what? Yes, this woman wins. What's the line? Yes. We are back with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, and we have a very special guest who's a dear friend of mine. 14-year-old Sophie Rose has been singing and songwriting almost as long as you could talk. Um, you were born in uh, Los Angeles on Christmas Day, 1999, a special day. You have perfect pitch. You have taken your inspiration from such stars as Britney and Taylor and Miley, and you have written over 90 songs already. It, Sophie, you are a phenomenon. Thank you guys so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's We're good to have you here. to have you here. And, uh, you know, you're so passionate about what you do. How did you discover this passion? Well, I've been singing my entire life. As Nancy said, I've been singing pretty much as long as I've been talking. And I started writing songs after I heard Taylor Swift and found out that she wrote her own songs. And that's just where it all started. Yeah. Really remarkable. And how do you feel when you're performing and when you're writing songs? What does it do for you as a person? It really just makes me really happy, and I love doing it so much. And no one else I know um, even started doing music, or no one I know wrote songs when I started writing. So I don't know. I think it just, like, came from inside me, and I just really love doing it. 
Well, I think it's remarkable yeah. that she is giving her, well, first of all, you're cultivating your talent at yes. such a young age. A lot of people your age haven't discovered what they want to do and, and what they're passionate about, but you've not only figured out what that is, but you're using that to give to other mm -hmm. people. And, and Nancy can attest to how much you have been helping. Act Today. As a matter of fact, didn't you do your first public appearance for Act Today? Yes, my first time performing on a stage was at an Act Today event that Nancy invited me to play at. Yeah, and at the so Sagebrush Cantina. And she got up there in front of everybody. This, how old were you at the time? I was 10. You were wow. 10. <laughs> and her composure was just amazing. So, you, you know, you knew you were seeing a rising star. And so now you are going to be receiving an honor on October 19th at the 9th Annual Denim and Diamonds for Autism, which is our big gala at the uh, Four Seasons in Westlake Village. And you are going to get the Golden Cowgirl Award, which is given to someone who has done so much for ACT Today, someone in the community that has been a real activist. And um, I want to I want to ask you, uh, first of all, do you have of course, you know Wyatt, my mm -hmm. son. Do you have other friends or family that are impacted by autism? I have a cousin who has autism uh -huh. and they're nonverbal. And I've seen the impact that it's had on their family, but she's just such a bundle of joy and she brings so much happiness to the family, but I definitely see the challenges. Okay. Wow, really remarkable. We have I, a video. We do, and, yeah. and this is a video that Sophie co-wrote. It's called Firefly, mm -hmm. um, and we want everybody to know that this song can be downloaded, um, and 100% of the proceeds will go from each individual download to Act Today, and it can be purchased on iTunes, CD Baby, and other dig digital retailers. It's called Firefly. And we're going to go to it now. When we come back out, we'll talk more with Sophie Rose. It's harder to find the fire inside me When everyone's trying to put it out It's easy to stop myself from shining When I'm supposed to Ah! 
I'm tearing up again. I was going to say, I'm misty. <laughs> <laughs> we have tissues. Sophie Rose, that is so beautiful. It, unbelievably beautiful. Uh, such talented, what a beautiful voice. And, and the song itself is so beautiful. And the desire to give back using it is just... Uh, Amazing. And she put that video together by herself with the help of our own Amy Zhang. All the pictures you saw were children with autism, and my son Wyatt was in there. Love that. Yeah. I want to know what 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 the meaning behind the song is, uh, Firefly. Well, I co-wrote the song with an amazing songwriter, Athena Marie, and we wrote this song for Act Today, and it's a song that represents the differences in everybody because everyone has differences, and. Sometimes what sets you apart from other people is what makes people bring you down, and that's not okay. So we wrote this song pretty much saying, let your light shine through for exactly who you are, and don't let anyone put it out. Love it. Great message. I love that. So I want to encourage people once again to download the song Firefly by Sophie Rose. It's available on iTunes and CD Baby, and we're going to be putting it up on our Act Today YouTube site. So uh, it will be up there as well. And um, how, how do you feel about being honored at Denim and Diamonds? I'm so incredibly grateful that you guys would... Um, honor me with this incredible award. You do so many amazing amazing things, and I'm just so proud to be part of this. Well, it's because of people like you that were able to do amazing things. Thank so. you. Well, I want to know, here you are, you're 14, <laughs> and you're already doing amazing things. What are your aspirations? What do you want to do? Well, right now I'm writing songs to pitch to other artists to sing, but my goal for my future is to be my own artist and have people know me as an artist. Now, there's been somebody that's been extremely influential in your development as an artist. Can you talk about that person? Yes, my mom is my hero. She has supported me throughout my entire journey, and I couldn't do it without her. Your so. mom, Melanie Abrams, mm -hmm. who is a dear friend of mine and is on the committee for Denim and Diamonds and is just such an incredible woman. And mm -hmm. I know she is so proud of you like we all are, Sophie. You are just you. phenomenal. Now, um, how can our listeners find out more about you? And You can go to my website, sophierosemusic.net, and you ha on my website you have all the links to my Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Okay. Well, I'm just, uh, now I'm really okay. weeping oh. um, because in this world of all the things that are going on, and even on the way in this morning, I was listening to NPR talking about how stressful it is to have teenagers. And here you are, you're a 14 year old who is passionate and talented and giving back. And when asked who inspires you, you say your mother is your hero. This, ladies and gentlemen, is where we all need to get to. <laughs> Can I just say, I mean, how rare is that to hear from a 14 year old girl talking about her mother? I think you're remarkable and I think your mother's yeah. remarkable uh, that's a success story right there without everything else but the rest of it just makes it that much better mm -hmm. well we can't wait to hear you on October 19th up there on that stage performing Firefly in front of everyone and getting your honor and it is so well deserved and thank you on behalf of all the families that you are helping and the awareness you're bringing to autism and uh, we are so grateful thank you so much okay. wonderful having you we gotta watch support, this girl's career support this young woman and support uh, what she's advocating for act today they're all all good things thank you so much for being with us thank you for having me we're you're gonna welcome. take a break and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that miracle project and yeah. you guys have written in a question for Nancy and I that we're also gonna tackle as well stick with us
When you find out you're having a boy, you always think like, oh, he's gonna play football, he's gonna do this and that. And then when he's diagnosed, all those things get washed away. It's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind, you know, where is he, what is he doing, is he safe? We really didn't know what we were dealing with. I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information. I was a young mom. I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism. Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. ACT Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grampuche, is an amazing woman, and she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable, and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The ACT grant was a total miracle, and without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog, so we're so appreciative what they've done for us as a family. Recently, ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Are we ready? There you go, got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp. And they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart. So it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. 
These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Here we are. Welcome back. Uh, we do have a lot of time, and we have m many things to talk about. So I want to start with somebody wrote in a question and said, Hi, Shannon and Nancy. I was wondering, I hear you say that your kids are recovering. I know all kids are different with ASD, but I would like to get a glimpse of some things uh, I can expect for my four-and-a-half-year-old son's future. Can you tell me what things your kids struggle with and what you feel are not typical? I want to go back to the first thing, talking about recovery. Yes. Because when when my son was... we've, we've had a progression of what we've said uh, how do you language when your child gets a diagnosis and I hated it when when in the beginning when I said he's autistic it never sat well with me okay and so then we started saying has autism, has autism. and that sat well with me That's what I, I like that mm -hmm. and that, you know personal preference right that was what we liked, and but then we got to a point where that no longer, I, I felt, didn't fit because he'd made so much progress. And so I said I wanted to be positively assumptive, and I said to my husband, I want to start say, saying he's actively recovering from autism. And so for a lot of years, that's what we said. And recently, there have been viewers who've said to me, it offends me when you say that. It offends me really? when you use the word recover. Okay. And went through a lot of soul ser searching about it. Okay, why? Did they say why it offended yes. them? Okay, why? I've talked to many people I'd about like this, that. that they feel like um, that when they're on the spectrum and they're adults on the spectrum, when we talk about recovery from autism, they're thinking recovery from who they are. Okay. It's how they identify themselves as being people who, like Temple Grandin calls herself, an autistic. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about recovery, there's, they take that as you're trying to recover from what I am. You're trying to change who I am. Okay. I've explained to them that's not what I mean by those words, but it's just like when people say they don't want the, the football team to be called the Redskins. And right. people say that's not what we mean mean by it and the group says it still offends me right you know I had this discussion with my son yesterday because he referred to me as being fat which you know I am but I said to him that hurts my feelings and he said I didn't mean for it to hurt your feelings and I said but it still does so I have you know I I know how I feel in my heart about that word but I'm trying to use that less but I do want people to understand that my son is not in a stagnant place on the autism spectrum Every day he moves further and further into a place where he is not disabled by those aspects of autism that he has, but he can use some of the things that put him on the spectrum to empower him, but he's losing the disabling aspects of autism. Okay. And, and that's what I want to focus let's on. Let's just, and before I move on to Wyatt, let's define what recovered means. Very good point, uh, and I do think that people need to understand that, that autism spectrum disorder is actually a diagnosis of a disorder. It says that you are disabled and not able to function within the norms of society 
variety, and it and it lists a bunch of different symptoms, behaviors. That are in the DSM. That are in the DSM-5. And this has changed recently, yes. but it's still a disorder. And so if you, we're not saying that people get brainwashed, we're not saying that people change who they are, but when individuals work, in particular with ABA and sometimes with biomedical help as well to mm -hmm. make sure that they're healthy and they engage in behaviors that are useful to them, a day comes when they no longer qualify for the designation of having a disorder. Because they test, because the series of diagnostic testing does not put them on the autism scale spectrum anymore. And hopefully the testing is done by people that are reputable enough to understand that I know many people who had a diagnosis of autism at one point in their life, the disorder, and that they are leading full and rich lives that you and I, that, you know, maybe they're eccentric to somebody else, but their life is full. They're able to be a contributing member of society. They love and are loved. Mm -hmm. They have friends, they have relationships, they have children. I don't, I think any of us could look at them and say that they are disabled. Right. And they don't look at themselves as disabled. To and and my understanding and my definition of recovery is when you are no longer disabled, you don't qualify for the disorder. So what if in and you know we're having this discussion really for the first time. Mm. If someone goes from what was called moderately autistic to Aspergers, right? Would you call that recovered? Well, you know, under the strict definition, my son, I, we do not consider recovered, right. the term that I'm not using anymore, because he still qualifies under some things. Mm -hmm. But we can't think of him as where he was before because he's made so much progress. I feel like if my son were to go in now that he might and have somebody look at him now, he would probably get the old Asperger, right? Right. So how do, I don't call that recovered. I've been saying he's actively recovering. Okay. Um, but I don't have the right words. In fact, I just have been writing a blog about this, about what words do we use so we don't hurt somebody, but so that we can talk intelligently about the fact that you can have progress right. on the spectrum. You can grow and you can still stay who you are. You're not brainwashed and, and you are uniquely yourself mm -hmm. and, and, love the things that you love, you're still you, but you're not being held back by some of the things that cage our kids right? and, and prevent them from being able to do things that they truly want to be able to do. Yeah. I, uh, okay. Well, I, I say that I have a son who has autism. Mm -hmm. um, I say he's on the autism spectrum oftentimes, one of those two things. Um, I do say he has made enormous gains. Mm -hmm. um, I don't say he's recovering. I say he's, he's made enormous gains by having access to the proper care and treatment, which he got at a very late date. I have made the statement several times that I do believe that had my son had access to intensive ABA at the age of two rather than at the age of five, he most likely would have recovered. Mm -hmm. Now, that's just my gut feeling considering the gains he's made at such a late date starting, you know, intensive ABA at five, mm -hmm. um, that I feel like when those neuropathways were more open, when the brain was more flexible, it, it, considering the rate of gains he's made now, I think, you know, who knows might what, you know, but yeah. that shoulda, woulda, coulda. Right. Can't go there. Um, 
I do also see that along with the gains that Wyatt makes, there are other challenges that come up yes. all the time. And yes. I don't want to soft pedal those yeah. because with puberty, he's 12 now, there are other things that sometimes it's hard to, what's the puberty, what's the typical 12 year old oppositional yes. behavior, wanting to assert independence, what is the autism? But also there are some behaviors that have even started at a later age that I would consider autistic behaviors that he didn't have when he was five. Mm -hmm. Certain self-stimulatory behaviors that have gotten more intense. Mm -hmm. He's having uh, more problems with anxiety as he's gotten older, which I think so many of our kids have yeah. issues with anxiety and OCD. So um, I say he's making gains. Um, he is firmly on the autism spectrum. And I've heard my friend Lisa Ackerman from TACA say about her son, he's firmly on, he's still firmly on the autism spectrum, but he's doing great. Yeah. So I, I like to say that. And I also, um, I know earlier in this whole autism experience of being an autism parent, when I would hear about recovery, 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 I often felt an enormous sense of guilt mm. that I did not get my child recovered. Mm. And I felt like, what, didn't I do enough? Didn't I try enough interventions? Didn't I? And I don't think guilt serves anybody well. No. So if your child is not one of those early responders or has not made uh, progress, um, I don't want anybody to come away with a sense of guilt because I know so many parents are doing everything within their means to help their yeah. children and they don't see these dramatic gains and that can result in a sense of guilt and I don't want parents to feel yeah. that. We don't need any more guilt than we already are cycling through on ourselves. Right. But to get back to your answer, and I think you know both of us have sort of addressed this in some ways, that you know what the phrase is, if you know one person with autism, you know one person yeah. with autism. But it's impossible as a parent not to compare mm -hmm. it just is I think I we're all, all guilty time. of it and we all say to ourselves that's not useful I'm not mm -hmm. going to do that but we do it anyway and and I know when I had a four and a half year old I was always asking other parents what can I expect what can I yeah. what what are the possibilities right and so I just want you to know that when my son was four and a half it was right around when he was four and a half when we had a big big shift um, that we got some of his yeast under control and we saw he went like that and because before that they were telling us he was going to be ready to go to kindergarten and I wasn't seeing it. Uh -huh. I just wasn't seeing it. But okay. right around four and a half, um, the ABA and our yeast medications together, the yeast medication kicked in and he had a huge spurt, was able to go to typical kindergarten, be completely caught up where two months before it wasn't happening. I'm just being real here. And so academically, he has been caught up since then. Okay. He has been completely included, had different amounts of support in the classroom, but could keep up academically he just had struggles with attention and focus and social interaction he still deals with some of that now but I can throw him into a mix with a into a party that has other kids his age mm -hmm. and he can pretty much handle it yeah um, I might have some behaviors afterwards um, but he can handle himself now and I'm incredibly lucky and yeah. grateful he, there are kids who are doing better than him uh, just to be you know he's like somewhere in the high middle there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there are kids who have 
who can handle more, many more things than he can, but my goodness, am I grateful that he's doing so well and do I count my blessings every day? Certainly not as much as I should be, but yes, I count my blessings every day. So, and he will go to college and God willing, he will have a loving relationship with someone and have kids of and his own. And you expect him to live about. independently and have a job and all those well, things? Well, now let's not go crazy. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's yes, talk he expects right. that, and everyone around him oh, expects okay. that. I have not made my peace with that. Okay. But everyone oh, else have. does. All right. It's me that's like, no, no, he and I right. will travel and okay. do whatever. And, but All right. No. His well, intention is he will move away. Well, Wyatt, because I, I believe because he got such late intervention with ABA, uh, he was just under five, uh, which is why I do the work I do with ACT Today, because I thought if this can happen to me, and children get it much later than Wyatt. I mean, yeah. I'm, I believe me, I count my blessings every day that he has made the gains he has. But um, I do believe, well, first of all, he was underdiagnosed with PDD-NOS when he was moderately to severely autistic. And um, his gains have been great in the behavioral uh, area. Um, he, at the age of four and a half, was probably having, I would say, anywhere between five and 10 massive tantrums a day uh, with self-injurious behaviors, aggressive behaviors. Um, he started to make great gains when we put him on the gluten-free, dairy-free diet when he was three and a half before we, actually about almost four. Mm -hmm. And within putting him on that GFCF diet, within a couple of weeks, he was going from saying one word to saying two, three sentences, two, three word sentences. So that was a big change for us. Um, we, with the ABA, it has been painstakingly slow and long, uh, but he no longer has violent tantrums at all. He has learned how to self-regulate, self-modulate. Um, he still has a lot of self-stimulatory behaviors, verbal stereotypy, uh, physical stereotypy that prevent him from focusing and prevent him from socializing. Mm -hmm. So if I throw him into a group of typical kids, he does not necessarily go in with them. Uh, he might isolate by himself, and if it's around water, he's gonna go splash water. Um, however, um, he has made a lot of gains in in uh, in social skills, and he is functioning. He's going into seventh grade, and he's at a third grade level. And I do believe the reason for that is because the autism uh, interfered with him being able to access a curriculum. So what I'm hoping is, rather than the gap continuing to widen, the gap will close. Yeah. However, I have talked to many moms, uh, particularly with Wyatt doing the Miracle Project mm -hmm. summer theater camp with so many other kids on the spectrum. And a, most of them are older than him. Yeah. And a lot of those moms have told me that for some of their kids, the gap widened. Yeah. Um, you know, they were making gains. They were at second or third. And then as the other kids started to grasp everything and go up, the academic gap widened, although the, some of the social th things came up to speed. Right. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all, yeah. I think. Uh, but I do believe firmly that all our children can make gains. It's true. With the right 
treatment and it's care. True. Science has shown us that's absolutely a true yeah. statement. Yeah, and I don't, and I, and I know ABA is the main thing, but that's not the only thing. Absolutely. Programs that emphasize social skills for some children. Getting on a horse and doing equine-assisted therapy can unlock a voice. Yeah. For some children, going into a theater program can give them something. They can see a talent they never had before, yeah. right? Yeah, I just want to say, though, that that's not antithetical to an ABA program. Because right. the ABA program is about finding the thing that's reinforcing. And for some kids, that means swimming with a dolphin. Exactly. So for some kids, that means riding on a horse. Right. For some kids, that means getting up and singing in front of other people in a, in a theater program. Yes. But you, you have have to and Temple talks about this too you have to key into what is mean what's the paycheck for the kid what right. is their currency right and then feed that feed that feed that because amazing things happen which leads us right into talking because we've only got a few minutes okay. now the miracle project yes because uh, we came to see it on Friday and we've had um, coachy on the show and and I've talked to her and I think she's an amazing person but my opinion of her and what she's doing went through the roof seeing uh, Wyatt and so many other kids in that show it was so moving, Nancy. Well, I have to say that, you know, she really, the, the, the show turned my whole perspective around last week after I saw the first show. And not just because of Wyatt and his participation, but watching these kids up there, okay. some of them nonverbal, some of them that you would consider by looking at them severely autistic the brilliance mm -hmm. out of these kids one boy in particular who wrote a song that they oh, amazing and another boy who gets on the piano and is a virtuoso a young woman named Spencer and we're gonna have some of these kids here with yes. Kochi and we're gonna look at some of the videos we talked yesterday about actually screening some of uh, the show uh, joining the spectrum which is Beautiful. a miracle project in conjunction with Cal State Northridge uh -huh. it was done over the summer I just want to clarify what it was right it's ending on Thursday and um, What's been amazing to me is that I look at these kids on stage and then I go and talk to the parents and I'll say, oh, but so-and-so is so high-functioning, right? right? And they'll go, no, he's at second grade level at age 18. And, and yet I in am the blown show, away. And let in the, the show, he is brilliant, a brilliant actor, yeah. sings on key. Yeah. So I, you said Elaine said something. When she really was here the last you. time to talk about this, she said, I don't like to say high functioning and low functioning because she was talking about her son and she said, you know, you could put my son in one circumstance where, we're, where they're doing trigonometry and with typical kids his age and you would look at him and you would go, oh, this young man is low functioning because he can't do this and he can't communicate with them what he can't do. It. And she said, but you could take that same group of kids and my son and take them on a mountain hike and say, we're going to get this gear together and get and organized to take on this mountain hike and the rest of the kids would be like uh and you would consider them low functioning but her son would be the high yes, functioning Neil, one and that, i met him that yesterday it's, that it's all about the context of what somebody's abilities are and none of us are great at everything we That's can't right. be of course and that if we widen that to look at our kids and say where do they excel and mm -hmm. then put them in that environment to, and, and encourage them in that environment that the things that happen we see that no one is low functioning that's right I mean personally <clears throat> I stopped being able to do math at around second grade oh help me and, and uh, really <laughs> oh, 
truly. I used to read I, I can't novels do my son's in math, math class. right now. I used to have straight A's and D's in math. So I'd read mm. novels in math class all through high school. Sweetheart, so, I am on Google every other day doing homework, trying to figure out on Google and looking on YouTube for a mathematician to explain to me how to do help my son with his homework. And yeah. then he explains it to me. I know. And that was fifth grade. Heaven help me as we move into high school. I know. Did anyway, we, we want no, we want to see the pictures of, of when uh, Oh, there's Coach E with my Dearest, dearest Amy Zhang on Cochise Right and Chrysia Avalos, who is our grants uh, administrator. She gives all the grants and she speaks Spanish to the Spanish speaking families. And the and set is in the background, which was beautiful. Yes, the and set. there is Wyatt, with the little Jem. thespian with Jem, Shannon's son, who came to see him and his proud mommy. Jem and then there's the Uncle Johnny, Wyatt's superhero, my brother John Allspaw with his nephew. So proud of him. Well, and I just want to say that it was life-changing to be in the audience. And I know that sounds so cliche, but I mean it. It was life-changing to be in the audience for everyone that was there. I'm sure it was life-changing for everybody who participated. And I know that Kochi is going around the country and doing more of these programs. If you get your, if there's an opportunity for your child to participate and your child has any interest in anything having to do with performing arts, get them in that and program. And we're funding grants throughout today. Uh, one of our biggest uh, pushes at Denim and Diamonds for Autism in October is to raise money for this program and others like it. So please know that we we sent about 10 kids that couldn't have been able to do this this summer yeah. through Act Today through a $10,000 grant. So let's it's, keep that good work coming. Please donate to Act Today. We need to. Absolutely amazing. And we look forward to having Coach okay. E to yeah. talk about uh, about the whole program. But, right. but really, it's aptly named. She calls it the Miracle Project. Yeah, That's it exactly is. what it should it be called. It is a miracle. Uh, and she's a bit of a miracle. And she, I know she would say her whole team, too. And Wyatt was so precious in the show. He, he was so up. precious in the show. And I'll tell you, they, they came out and did speeches beforehand, and at one point uh, they were saying, okay, it's going to be 75 minute long with no intermission. <laughs> and I, I had to sit up with you because yeah. it was sold out. Right. And so my husband and my son were sitting in the front row, and I thought, oh my goodness, 75 minutes, you know, he's 11 and on the spectrum. Is he going to sit through the whole thing? What is she thinking having no intermission? He was fine. Yeah. He was glued to the whole glued. thing. Glued, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think and that's... Came running up at like uh, like as my husband said like he just won Wimbledon and came <laughs> running up into the stands and threw his arms around his mom. You gotta love that. Moment. You gotta love that. So we're out of time. Hey, tomorrow we have a great guest who's going to be with us, Jim Cober, uh, from an amazing organization talking about the autism site and everything else, the greater good. I got to talk to you about okay. this. Um, and then we're gonna have Dr. Jonathan Tarbuck. So that's tomorrow. Make sure that you're tuning in for that. Lots more uh, coming up about next week some really impressive guests for you but until then give your kiddos a hug from me and yourselves a hug from me bye bye for I'm now go sneeze now